Welcome to the Fishers of Men podcast. This is a podcast where we discuss all vocations, those who are discerning or entering into a new vocation, as well as those who are living in a vocation. Today, we're with Deacon Gary Meyercord, a permanent deacon at All Saints Parish in St. Peter's, Missouri. My name is Paula Dotson. Deacon Gary, could you start us off with a prayer? Certainly. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for all that you've given us. We ask that you open our hearts, that we may hear your word, hear your desire for all of us. We ask that we're able to help others who are interested in uh, entering into a vocation, either as a religious life or as a priest or a deacon. And we ask that uh, you open our hearts, that we can assist in any way possible. We gather these thoughts and prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you, Deacon Gary. Mm -hmm. To begin with, would you mind walking us through your past, your journey, both how you entered the diaconate and came to that decision, as well as your life, your experiences as a deacon? Okay. Um, how? It was, it's kind of a, a convoluted story in the sense that... Uh, I was aware of deacons in the parish that I, uh, Linda and I had uh, lived in at the time, and it was always fascinating to me to see the kind of work these men were doing. I talked to one deacon at one at one point, and he says, well, you know, he said, it's very difficult to, to do what we're doing and still travel as much as you, you travel. So I just kind of tucked it in the back of my head. We had a, a very good friend, a priest friend that had stopped by the house, and as we were talking, he said, you know, you ought to think about it. You ought to consider it. Just enter the formation process. So I said, well, let me spend some time thinking, and I want to talk to my, my wife and more and talk to my kids. So essentially what I was doing was really asking God to open a path, an avenue for me, and, uh, and allow me to be able to enter into this to where I know that I could uh, uh, possibly um, uh, join the formation process. And then not expecting that I would complete it, but just to be expecting that I could join it and see what I could learn about our faith. Well, the interesting part was the travel that I had been under had been very intense. Suddenly that didn't stop, but it uh, eased up significantly. I talked to uh, some supervisors that I had in uh, Minneapolis, and they also understood, and they uh, allowed me to work more and more from the St. Louis area, which really made a difference uh, as, as far as being able to uh, make the classes and the rest of it during the week. And what I did really in setting this up and setting up the application process, uh, Linda and I talked for a long time. And in our prayers and in how we talked about what the uh, the diaconate could uh, mean for us, uh, for me, and then obviously with uh, with her as well. And then we brought our children, and uh, we have two kids, and they were late teens at this point. And it was fun because they were very supportive. All three of them were very supportive right from the beginning, and they kept wondering why I didn't do this earlier. <laughs> so, any rate, uh, the uh, the formation process then began, and it was just fascinating. It was like now, I had 12 years of Catholic education, and yet this opened up an avenue of where my, my faith development really had needed or needed a boost for uh, quite a long time. 
And it was fascinating. I, uh, I found myself really listening more about the, uh, the history of our church or the, the history of what we were dealing with and learning about what the, de- uh, the deacon could do in a parish or the difference a deacon could make in uh, the parish life. And it, I couldn't believe how quickly four years would go in a formation element at that point. So the, the classes, the formation training for the diaconate was a four-year program? It was at that time, uh, it had just gone from a three-year to four-year program. Uh, initially, when it first started out in St. Louis, we had a two-year program. Hmm. And they realized early on that it needed more. So they added additional uh, coursework. And then when I got in, um, they recognized that we needed to have a four-year controlled program. This The formation was met on one day or one evening a week. And then we had classes through this, uh, Paul the Sixth Institute that we would take pretty much around the archdiocese at various places. And, and essentially, uh, um, the syllabus or the course outline would be uh, uh, given to us during the, uh, um, during the upcoming su- semester, if you will. Interesting. Yeah. So then when were you ordained a deacon? Well, I completed uh, the last semester. Uh, it was uh, advanced uh, homiletics in um, uh, 1997, and I was ordained in June of 1997. So it's been 26 26 years. years. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe it. It's gone so fast. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. Then once you were ordained, were you immediately assigned to a parish? Yeah. During that time, there was a a rule, and what they were trying to do is have uh, deacons uh, spread out more around the archdiocese, where there were some deacons, uh, some parishes rather, that had um, uh, four, five, and six deacons, and they were stumbling over themselves. <laughs> there really wasn't enough guidance as to saying, okay, here's what the ministry could offer in a variety of ways. So the director of the deacon at that time asked if we could have a rule that would be t- no more than two deacons in a parish. Now, if we had a retired deacon, then that would be two full-time deacons, and then the retired deacon would be able to do whatever he would like to do at that point. So essentially, I was in that two-deacon rule at that point, uh, which is not um, a rule any longer. And But what's interesting is that um, I knew I wasn't going to be able to be assigned to the parish that I had been in, in North County. And our daughter and uh, son-in-law had moved out uh, in St. Peter's, and Linda and I started thinking about that. In the meantime, her mom and dad moved out this way. So we decided to uh, move out to St. Peter's. And I had mentioned it to the personnel board that uh, this is where we were heading. And the um, the personnel board set up an appointment to see uh, Monsignor uh, Walter Whited, who was in our parish. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I talked to um, uh, Monsignor Whited. And he said, Gary said, this was at St. Joseph uh, Cottleville. And he said, we're a big parish, and here's what we're doing. And he laid it all out for me, and it was exciting. And I could see there were all sorts of possibilities for ministry just in what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turns out for me, um, I didn't go to any of the other parishes. I went strictly with uh, All Saint, or excuse me, uh, St. Joe's, and uh, I spent a little over eight years there as a, there, a deacon. Mm-hmm. And it was um, a good experience all the way through. Mm-hmm. I had... Uh, I felt that I could be working with Monsignor Whited, and it turns out that when I would make a decision or do something, 
I could run an idea past him, and he would not uh, criticize, but he would offer suggestions. And I found that I learned more in just developing from that end uh, in a, a regular ministry uh, kind of position. And I found that to be very intriguing. So it sounds like Monsignor Whited was a lot of a mentor for yes, you. Yes, yes, he was. And he continued, well, we're, we've been friends for, well, since that time. And it's always been uh, just a pleasure to be able to sit down and talk. Even now we have lunch together, and it's nice to be able to talk about uh, All Saints Parish and at the same time talk about the things that are going on in, uh, in ministry, period. Right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, for those who might be listening and aren't really sure, what are the differences between being a deacon or a priest? <laughs> in a nutshell, I know that's hard. We, we get this quite a bit. Actually, all priests are deacons. And I heard in, a, um, in an ordination for a, a transitional deacon that the bishop that ordained this gentleman said, never forget that you will always be a deacon. And that means that you are of service. The diaconate is set up for service. So typically in a a formation of a a person going into the priesthood, they would be ordained a transitional deacon, meaning that they're in process still. They continue with their education, but they're assigned to a parish or they're assigned to a specific area, and then they work in that area until they're ready for ordination. A permanent deacon, like a person like myself, I am married— now, a priest is not going to be married, typically. Uh, a transitional deacon will not be married. So, But I'm allowed to be married one time. And it's, I say that in, uh, without any kind of uh, um, humor, because in all honesty, it's really important to know that our, uh, the marriage, our, um, the vow that was taken at Father uh, Marriage, was one that uh, brought us to a point where we could uh, stretch beyond ourselves and to be able to do the things that were necessary uh, in just in our family, the, the sacramental life that we have as a married couple. Within the diaconate, the, um, the, the idea of us being able to have a shared interest in that meant that knowing that if, if something happened to Linda, I would never remarry. It was always going to be able to stay within the focus of uh, of the uh, the diaconate uh, process. Okay. What duties can you perform that are also duties a priest would perform, and which ones do you not? Well, I think it's probably easiest to uh, explain what I can't do, and that is I can't and I don't consecrate the host. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I do at the altar is that I assist with the uh, assist the priest or assist with the uh, the celebration of the Eucharist. I proclaim the gospel. There are elements that I am allowed to uh, uh, offer the prayers for, like the penitential rite at the beginning of Mass. The um, uh, the rite to well the idea of of offering the sign of peace uh, prior to communion, and then the sending of people at the very end of Mass. So primarily, my role is to be able to proclaim the gospel. What I'm also able to do is uh, uh, preach, and I offer uh, have a sermon or a homily um, after uh, I've proclaimed the gospel, which really ties up a lot of having real-life experiences 
to where we can see how the, uh, the the gospel comes alive for us. You know, oftentimes people say it's it's not it's the same thing. There's no real life here, and yet if you look at where where God's presence is in our lives, everything that we do really does come to that focus. God's presence is always there if we allow him into our hearts. That's exciting. So preparation for a homily for me is not just reading the gospel a few times, but to also look at what I'm dealing with um, on an everyday basis to see if that can come alive when I'm preaching. Okay. Which sacraments can you officiate? I'm not sure if okay. that's the correct term. Sure. I can, uh, and I do uh, have officiated on, at many weddings, baptisms. You know, um, Now, it's not a sacramental, but I have done quite a few funerals in, uh, in funeral homes you know, or at funeral homes. Um, and that's where somebody might not be Catholic or they may have decided they don't want Mass. And um, then I've I can do that, and I have many times. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's primarily uh, baptism, and then the uh, the idea of uh, a wedding. A wedding, interesting. Okay. Now, we were speaking before the recording started, and you mentioned that in your lay life, shall we say, you did a lot of training. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that intertwines with what you do as a deacon? <laughs> I think it helps out significantly because what we're able to do is break down relatively, or I'm able to break down relatively complicated elements of what our life could be and then be able to help somebody see the logic of why we're doing something. Um, I, I like it. The idea is it's the organization of what uh, a trainer can do or a trainer is offering this. Presentation-wise, it helpful. It's helpful because I'm also aware of being able to um, get ideas across in a, in a manner that uh, the congregation can understand. So I try to hit uh, primarily maybe one or two themes within the uh, say a, a homily, and be able to stay within that focus during the course of, uh, of the homily itself, so you don't drift around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because. Maintains that focus of the people, too. Right, right. Interesting. So then it sounds like your family overall was very supportive of your decision. Yes, they have been, and they they continue to be. That's interesting. And it's very uh, rewarding to have that. And when you were still working, because you're retired now, correct? Correct. When you were working, was it difficult to balance the two parts of your life, the lay life and then the religious life? Actually, I found it to be intertwined. We have uh, people knew that I was involved in the church. They didn't know what I did. Mm-hmm. And then at, by accident, um, I assisted at a funeral mass for one of our employees' wives, uh, a spouse. And of, of course, the office came to the mass, and that's when they saw me uh, investments to where I assisted. I didn't do the homily, but I did. Uh, assist where I could, and then offer the Eucharist at the time at, at communion. Afterwards, people wanted to know more. So I had a chance to talk to them about what this ministry side was. Well, then we had uh, some regional managers that would call me and want to know if I could come out to one of the stores that they were having some difficulty or one of their employees were having difficulties. Uh, could I sit down and listen and talk to them? 
and I found that uh, actually I ended up becoming more or less a um, a chaplain for the um, the the company at that point. Oh, how interesting! I just sit and listen. Uh, I couldn't fix their problems, but what I could do is uh, just be there for them. Right, that support and feeling like someone listened to them probably helped tremendously. Right. And not judge, you know. And I'm not a supervisor. I didn't uh, have any authority in the in the point. And anything they told me was uh, very confidential. Almost uh, similar to a reconciliation. Uh, it's similar, yeah. yes. But please don't say that. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, then you said you spent eight years at St. Joe Cottleville. Mm-hmm. Was your next assignment at All Saints? I, it was. And um, basically, uh, I had been working uh, as an employee of St. Joe's. And uh, when Father uh, uh, or Monsignor White had, had been transferred to uh, Richmond Heights, um, our new pastor, Monsignor Callahan, came in, and he wanted to make changes. And I could see that it was necessary for changes uh, to be coming up. And essentially, um, I lost my job. And at 55, I'm thinking this is going to be kind of a difficult process. But at the same time, I I wrote a letter and notified a friend of mine and asked if uh, I could be um, kind of doing things as a um, a private contractor for training for the uh, for uh, the company, and it turns out the president of the company knew me, and uh, she wanted to know if I would come in because they would create a position for me, and that's what they did. They created a training position, to where I went in and I did the work of a trainer. We had what were called canned programs or things that were off the shelf, and then I adapted that to uh, the uh, the industry that we work in. So it was kind of fun to be able to be able to work like that. But it took about six months to uh, kind of come on board with that. So I did take a six-month time frame to where I needed to uh, um, kind of get up to speed on a new job. So stepping back from temporarily from Mm -hmm. the diaconate and and focusing on a new job in your lay life. That's right. And interesting. So then how long have you been here at All Saints then? It'll be a little over 18 years. Wow. Yeah. So um, when you're thinking, well, maybe seven, no, 18, because uh, um, I'm looking at the term uh, for uh, the time that I was ordained. So I, other than a, a brief period of time that I had uh, trying to uh, work within the um, uh, uh, learning the job, why I had a little bit of uh, time to where I could kind of refocus on what I could be doing in ministry. So what? Would you say has been one of the most fulfilling experiences you've had as a deacon and or possibly one of the most challenging? Well, the uh, most fulfilling, I think, was a shared ministry that I was involved in as a chaplain for the uh, Veterans Home, uh, uh, Missouri Veterans Home in North County. And it was very interesting to see people in uh, the various uh, well, I, I was in memory care quite often. They've changed that from Alzheimer's to the memory care. But to see changes within the men and women that were living there at the uh, uh, the nursing home, but see them, their, their physical conditions changing. And yet at the same time, when we could go in or I could go in and sit down with them, offer them the Eucharist, say prayers with them, uh, every one of them could offer or say the prayers right along with me. Now, they might not be able to talk about a lot of things, but to offer, uh, say, to our Father or say a Hail Mary, 
they were right there and being able to pray, to make the sign of the cross. Uh, there was one gentleman that I'll never forget. They would make the sign of the cross faster than I could, and then he would grin at me and say, did I do it the right way? <laughs> and it was just perfect to be able to handle something like that. So it was exciting. That was very in- intriguing to me because I was able to do this on a regular enough basis that I got to know many of the people there. And it was also fascinating to see how the nursing home would actually uh, sponsor, highlight some of the residents uh, at various times so that you saw them as young people, as people that uh, with their families, and then in the service, whatever they did, as well as being a little older. So there was always a reminder of who that person was as uh, as an individual. And I always found that to be very uh, rewarding as well. I think a challenging part of ministry uh, for me was the fact that uh, I was an advocate for uh, the marriage tribunal, and I tried to assist people uh, to get an annulment or at least initiate the, uh, the investigation for annulment work. And you know, it's challenging is to be able to to listen, to ask the questions, and then to capture the information so that uh, uh, the, the person, the petitioner, or the respondent could uh, write an effective uh, answer or response to the questions that uh, they had to face. Interesting. So, so they would speak to you about it, but then you would help them put it to paper? Well, oftentimes what I would do is I would give them the, uh, uh, the questionnaire. Well, they would receive the questionnaire. And then I would ask them, just complete the questions as much as you can. Uh, I'd always ask them to type it in double space. And then we would go through every one of their responses. And I would ask questions about, what do you mean by this? And then we would write something that would be clarifying uh, for that particular statement. And the challenge a lot of times was that people really didn't know how to uh, respond. They didn't want to become uh, to be angry. And yet at the same time, uh, when it was finished, you could almost see the sense of relief that uh, the individual would have uh, once either the annulment was complete or in some cases just that the questionnaire was completed. Then it was just a matter of waiting for the tribunal to review the information. Interesting. So if there were someone, a, a young man considering the diaconate, what would your advice or your comments be to him? I would, I would counsel, depending on the situation, but I would counsel in the sense that if they have a young family, let them grow up. Let the kids grow to an age to where they can understand what it is that dad's going to be doing, what it is that's going to take them uh, away from the family for a period of time. I would also recommend that uh, they speak and be very close to their, their wives so that they could uh, uh, make sure that the wife understands if it's overwhelming for her, she's got to be able to say, hey, come home. We need you here. And I was always so grateful that Linda could do that for me. Uh, if I got too involved or I was away too much, um, she would always kind of pull me back gently and say, we need you home. I, okay, and then I could uh, make other arrangements or do something else. But I would really counsel someone to be uh, constantly mindful of their family so that they can offer something and not destroy the, the love relationship that they would have in their family. In other words, they have to keep in mind that they are a family. Yes. Uh, from the beginning of my formation, uh, it was kind of drilled into us that it was family, diaconate, 
in Punjab so that we didn't let any one of them take over. I mean, the family obviously was first, but we, they didn't want the job or the diaconate to get in the way of where our family life was. So we were looking at a, a good balance all the way through. And in a sense, the family has to be there to support you all the way. Certainly, certainly. Quite interesting. That's why I always said that I serve at the uh, the permission of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like us to know about you, your life as a deacon? Um, all I say, I would do it all again in a heartbeat. I'd find there were times, it's difficult at times. There were sleepless nights at times. Uh, there was a lot of work all the way through. But if I had it, had the opportunity to do everything again, I would in a, in a moment's notice say, yes, let's do this. Let's Let's be involved. And know that uh, I could offer something for um, uh, for the church, you know. At that point, um, if I've made mistakes and someone's been hurt, I sincerely apologize. Uh, it was never an intention, but at the same time, uh, it's always something that's very rewarding when you know that you've put everything that you know in front of them, and they're able to see where God's love is too. So, well, thank you so much for being with us today. It's a pleasure. Really appreciate it. And would you take us out with a prayer? Sure. Good and gracious God, we do give you a thanks for all that you have given us. We ask that you bless this ministry. We ask that you bless the people who are considering vocations. And we ask that you open the hearts of those who are mindful of your love. We gather these thoughts and prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks to everyone for watching our podcast. We'll be back again soon with some of our other religious from all saints. And thank you again, Deacon Gary, for Pleasure. joining us.